Farmers have to deal with so many factors, many of which are outside of their control. But data and technology can help bring new insights into something as complex and delicate as pollination. It's important to be able to assess what you're getting because pollination is such an important part of the food production process. And you can do everything right, but you got bad bees this year, your yields are gonna be lower and you'll have no idea what you've done wrong. Today, we chat with one of the founders of Bee Hero about how technology can improve bee health, pollination, and ultimately blueberry production. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Nobody understands the importance of bees and other pollinators more than those of us working in agriculture. Bees are an important part of blueberry production, so it's alarming that the mortality and the cost of these pollinators have grown to unprecedented levels. We've featured a few bee technologies in the past, and we have another one on today's episode. Itai Kanote is the COO and co-founder of Bee Hero, based here in California. Itai is the son of the largest commercial beekeeper in Israel, and that background ultimately led him to co-founding Bee Hero in 2017. We're here to talk about bee health, pollination, and how technology can improve blueberry production. Itai, welcome to the business of blueberries. Thank you, Casey. Thank you for having me here. Well, it's a remarkable story. So talk a little bit about, you know, as you grew up in this family of beekeeping uh, your whole life, what problems were you facing as a commercial beekeeper that led you to co-founding this company that you're that you're a part of today? Yeah. So obviously there are a lot of different problems that the bee industry is, uh, is facing nowadays with the uh, varroa mite and um, colony collapse disorder uh, syndrome, I guess. We used to have things that are more endemic for different regions of the world, but because of human and, you know, moving things around from, from, from one region to another, we were able to also transfer all those different problems. And now bees everywhere basically get all the bee problems from all around the world. So it's more and more and more stressors that causes uh, those things and combine that with poor nutrition because of you know, monoculture and a lot of uh, urbanization and uh, uh, less uh, foraging resources, and everything becomes a more significant problem. And growing up in a very agricultural area, uh, you know, I had a neighbor with a dairy farm, and his cows are being milked by uh, robots, right? And it felt like us beekeepers are left behind, right? Like we're still using those uh, the smokers and the hive tool. And that's it. Like the last disruptive technology that entered that space was the invention of motorized vehicle. So you saw that in your growing up. I mean, you what, what I think we what I saw and I understand is that your family's farm, your family's beekeeping operation is, is Israel is the largest. 
significantly. 5,000, I think I read, colonies uh, being raised there in Israel. And you saw this need basically globally, decided to leave the family business to start your own. Uh, you're now in the United States. So was it that that you saw that had you leave what is the largest beekeeping operation in Israel to try and do something different in the space than what your dad did before? It was less uh, dramatic than this because it started with me just trying to find similar solutions to what I see around me in agriculture, uh, but for beekeeping. And at the time, I did find a few companies that popped up and were offering different technologies for, for beekeepers. And I bought a few of those uh, units and kind of tried them myself. And it didn't, it didn't work for me at all. It was more designed for maybe backyard beekeepers, you know, hobbyists. So it all started from a very um, selfish place, right? I wanted to use some tech in my bee operation. And we started with uh, about 10 hives in my backyard and then moved to about 1,000 hives in my dad's operation. And then 4,000 hives between my dad and some other beekeepers that I know um, in Israel. And we're building a big, big, big data set, collecting a lot of data, basically trying to teach the machine, the computer, how to, to give us real insights, not just temperature over time, but actual actual insights. And we need to find the correlations. And we did with our technology today and the the type of information that we're able to provide beekeepers, we're able to help them a lot with just the day-to-day work, becoming more efficient. When a beekeeper goes out to, um, to treat for varroa mite in their operation, they need to decide, for example, where to start? Do I go north to south through all my bee yards? Do I go east to west? There are decisions like that every day. And usually you have nothing to base those decisions on. And with our system, once you have an understanding, you have a pretty good high level picture of how your operation looks like. And it's in the palm of your hand, you know, or on your computer, comfort of your house. And you can make data driven decisions. And it sounds like it's working to the point where, you know, the suggestion I heard was that you are now the largest pollination provider in the world. Well, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a little hard to uh, fact check that. Uh, we, we are the largest in the U.S. It probably means the largest in the world, uh, just based on how many acres uh, we have pollinated this year. So yeah, maybe help me define that a little bit for our audience. Can you talk about just what that claim represents? You're saying that the service that you're providing amongst beekeepers here within the United States at the scale you are making you essentially the largest pollination provider in the world. Yeah. So I think it's important to uh, first clarify that we're actually not selling any services to beekeepers. We're selling services to growers that need pollination services like blueberry growers and almond growers and uh, seed production growers and so on and so forth. So the first market that we have decided to focus on and, you know, the place to really start building our name and reputation was the almond pollination market, right? A lot of people will refer to that as the Super Bowl of pollination. And so, you know, all beekeepers that do pollination come to California for this. 
It's a major market. And this is where we wanted to start as well. And the first year that we did pollination, we provided the precision pollination services was 2020. And we did about 2,400 acres. And then in 2021, uh, we were aiming for 20,000 acres. We ended up doing about 21,000 acres. And then this year, 2022, we pollinated 45,000 acres of almonds. And um, yeah, so this puts us in most likely the, the largest pollination provider uh, in the U.S., Okay, well, let's let's take a break here because uh, I want to come back to to how this relates now back to blueberries in terms of your perspective on the future. But before we do, let's take a break for our crop report. The North American season is well underway as we inch closer to that summer peak period. We're welcoming more and more regions onto the report. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today you'll hear from Ken Patterson in Florida, Brandon Wade in Georgia, and Neil Moore in North Carolina. This was recorded on April 27th, 2022. Well, this is Ken Patterson from Florida with this week's Blueberry Crop Report. The season here is starting to wind down in Florida. Uh, Central and South Florida is about 80% complete now, and Northern Florida is past halfway. Many growers are probably going to stop harvesting by the end of this week because of the depressed market. Prices have dropped significantly in the past week, causing growers that have the capacity to machine pick to finish out the season that way to maintain some type of profitability. Labor is starting to move north, but there is still adequate enough labor here to finish out the season. The bird pressure has been horrendous this year and continues to be so. Fruit quality, as usual, at the end of the harvest is waning a bit, but overall it's still pretty good. The weather for the next couple of weeks is warm and stable with a little bit of rain forecasted over this coming weekend. The USDA is reporting as of April 24th that Florida has shipped 20.4 million pounds of blueberries. And that's my blueberry report for this week from Florida. Brandon Wade with Alma Berry Farms, president of the Georgia Berry Exchange. Harvest is still going well. Quality is actually improving as we get past some of these lead picks. Bird pressure is still very serious, but as the weather stays very nice, warm and dry, the scarring isn't turning into bigger quality issues. So for the most part, we're all able to get a lot of that scarring out. By this point here on our farm, we are on second and third pick for farthing and first pick hard on Susie Blue. So I guess technically the second pick on that. Of the growers that I pack for, everyone that actually has fruit has now finally done first pick on star or farthing and um, getting into second pick on varieties like Patricia and second pick on Medlark. So harvest is progressing well. Weather looks quite nice for the rest of this week with a few scattered thunderstorms coming up on the weekend and into next week. But it looks patchy, so that's a great sign again for quality to stay up. So this week, the west side of Georgia should be getting into 
some of their bigger weeks, um, biggest picks on big varieties, farthing and and things like that. Rabbit eyes out there are, are looking fairly good, starting to see some size increase on those. So that's a good sign that we weren't, we may not have been hit quite as hard as we had thought because rabbit eye suffers from easy pollination issues after a freeze like that. So, so far things are looking good. And uh, if anything changes on that, I'll try to get an update out to the group. Hello to everyone. This is Neil Moore from North Carolina. I will be giving the crop report today. Here in the state, we had had some issues early on with some freezes in March that has kind of cut our crop production back. We're looking at about a 35 million pound crop in North Carolina this year with about 25 million that will probably be go to fresh and 10 million pounds that will go to process. And that is all dependent on weather conditions during harvest. Our current weather here is good. We had rainfall last night, which was needed. And we're starting to see just a little bit of color in the fields, which means we will probably be harvesting by mid-May, between the 10th and the 15th of May. We don't think that we will have any volumes until around May 20th. It looks like that uh, North Carolina early varieties are the ones that were hit the worst. Of course, they bloom earlier. So we will have a slower start, but as we get into more mid-season, varieties our production will pick up. I'm thinking that um, as we move on into May that we will know more about exactly when our timing will be and when we think that our peak will be. So this is my estimates and crop report from North Carolina today. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers who take the time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our Data and Insight Center to see more data about what's happening in the blueberry industry. We've added a lot more features to this dashboard, including USDA shipping price and movement, retail category performance, the Nielsen monthly retail sales report is just out again, and an export report. So please make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. Well, let's get back to our featured conversation here with Itai Kanote from Bee Hero. Itai, speaking of your interest in moving into blueberries, you, you're well established here in California with almonds. Talk to me a little bit about you know the vision and the ambition you have to get involved with the blueberry industry. What opportunities do you see and how are those the same or different than your experience so far with almonds? So um, one of our goals to start and building up our business was to start with almonds. And we want to explore some other crops and kind of bring our value to more and more and more crops. So blueberries is a pretty big industry that uses pollination. You guys are using between four and eight hives sometimes per acre. It's big amount of hives. It's a pretty significant part of, of your expenses, you know, per acre in a year. And I think we're in a position in which we can help you guys a lot, potentially reduce the prices that, that you're paying right now if we're moving away from the per hive payment and you know we're trying to match the number of frames that you actually need per acre. With blueberries, one of the major things that needs to be looked at is the amount of brood frames actually in a colony and not just the number of bees. 
I know that in many, many places with blueberries, they're actually looking at how many brood frames are in there. And that's a pretty smart thing to do because the more brood you have in a colony, brood is the main reason for bees to want to bring proteins into the colony, right? Brood needs a lot of protein in order to develop. And protein come from pollen. So when you have hives or colonies that are packed with brood, they have a bigger driver to go and get pollen. And so these are harder working colonies. And a lot of the locations, by the way, that you guys grow blueberries, even though it's it's a different period of time than, than almonds, you're still prone to weather changes. And one day can be extremely cloudy and you can get rain and you know, I'm sure you're following what's going on now with uh, cherry pollination in in Washington. They're getting extremely cold weather. There's no pollination going at all, and that can be a huge, huge uh, problem. And exactly for those events, it's important to have good, strong bees that are just harder workers. When you have less amount of flight hours in the season. If you have good bees that you can trust, these bees are going to work during those few flight hours that they get, and they're going to bring you a significant results every time. And so I really think that we're able to bring a lot of value to blueberry growers. Okay. So let me just clarify. So I've got this right. And then therefore the audience, but just want to make sure you have both the bees and the technology. You're bringing it all to the growers. You're providing from soup to nuts the experience of pollination for the season. You're not offering the bee flow technology as a third-party provider to beekeepers. You actually have the bees, the grower relationships, and the technology. So, yes, we, we have built a business model that aligns everybody's incentives in a way that creates a lot of efficiency. And essentially, we are not selling hives per acre. We look at it as a thing of the past. It also creates a lot of built-in problems that you see every year in pollination. I'm sure you guys probably see some of that with blueberry pollination uh, here and there. But you know, not all the hives are the same. Let's, uh, let's say it like that. And Basically, what we're doing, we're selling pollination in a different way. We will go to a farmer and say, okay, you're going to pay per acre, not per hive, because everything else that you're doing is per acre, right? Like you, you, you calculate the water per acre, you calculate your uh, you know, potassium that you put to the ground per acre, and everything is per acre. So we're going to charge per acre. Now, you choose how many frames of bees you want, not how many hives, because that doesn't mean anything. I can bring you boxes, but what's in the box, right? So how many frames of bees do you want per acre? And then let's say a farmer opted out for 16 frames. Now he's going to pay a flat flat rate per acre based on 16 frames per acre. Now it's my turn to show up with 16 frames per acre. Now I can bring 16 frames with one really good hive with 16 frames in it. I can do two eight-frame hives. And I can mix and match however I want. But the way that we built our model is such that everybody is gaining more when the bees are better. So my margins grow when I'm able to bring 
bigger, stronger colonies into the field. And the beekeeper is making more money because I'm paying, you know, based on how strong the colonies are because I can grade every every colony with our, with the sensors, right? So I'm paying per individual colony. So instead of having a contract that pays $190 per eight-frame colony and that's it, if the colony is eight-frame, I know how to pay $190 as well. But if the, the colony is 12 frames, I can pay you $230 and more. I had beekeepers that on average made over $250 per colony, which is way, way, way more than they could ever get from anybody else with the same strength of hives. So the beekeeper has an incentive to bring bigger, stronger colonies. The beekeeper gets my technology for free. I don't charge anything for, my te- for, the, for the technology from the beekeeper. And then my position is better when I'm, I'm getting bigger, stronger colonies. And the grower is extremely happy because a stronger colony is a better pollinator than a weaker colony by a lot. It's not linear, by the way. We've done a, a pretty interesting experiment that showed if you take a six-framer, six frames of bees in a colony during almond pollination, during almond bloom, this six-framer on average will make 500,000 trips of pollination. So two six-framers, together it's 12 frames, two six-framers will do about a million trips on average. If you take one 12-framer, right, one 12-framer will make 2.8 million trips, almost three times as much as the two six framers together. So you have 12 frames and 12 frames, but here it's from one colony, here it's from two colonies, and you see how much better the 12 framer is. It's almost three times as good as the two six framers. That is exactly where our value comes into play. We're able to charge the grower similar, if not lower prices than what he's used to uh, pay. We can pay the beekeepers higher prices than what they're used to getting. And we're still making something in the middle. And the grower is basically getting a much better pollination because the bees are stronger, healthier, bigger. And there's full transparency, also a very important thing to know. With our system, the grower gets full visibility and transparency into how the hives are looking. Whenever they want to log into their dashboard, they can see exactly how many frames of bees they got, what's the level of activity, flight hours during the day, compare it to our sentinel stations that everybody can log into and kind of compare themselves to them. And we're doing a lot of things to ensure the quality of the service that we provide. And at the same time, you know, we're already doing all of that. So we're trying to make everything a lot easier. It's like kind of a white gloves kind of service, you know? Okay, we're going to take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. Let's talk about the importance of strategic timing and tailored content. In marketing, we know it is vital to meet our audiences where they are. Last week, USHBC took that literally as we celebrated Earth Day on campus at NC State University in a big way. This activation served two important audiences, food service and consumers, to drive awareness, interest, and demand for blueberries. 
For the food service audience, the two-day activation featured three chef training sessions to educate and inspire all on-campus culinary staff on how to use more blueberries on the menu. A blueberry culinary training was also recorded that is becoming part of the curriculum for all dining staff moving forward. USHBC and regional growers presented blueberry bushes to NC State University's Agroecology Education Farm, a teaching farm where students learn where their food comes from. We talked varieties, growing practices, and sustainability with students and the farm staff. The Earth Day events highlighted a full campus menu takeover where the student dining halls featured new and different blueberry menu items. USHBC further increased awareness among students with swag giveaways, nutrition and sustainability information, and a make-your-own smoothie bike to emphasize health and wellness in a fun way. The students loved engaging in all things blueberry and learning about the importance of grabbing a boost of blue. Why was this a success? Because we took the message directly to them and tailored it to our specific audiences. The dining hall chef teams learned innovation and ideas for back-of-house efficiency. We spoke their language. The students saw blueberries in a fun, creative way, as well as saw the benefits to their health and wellness. That's the key. Find out what drives your specific audience and meet them where they are with messages and activations that resonate. You will catch their attention and increase engagement for your brand. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Casey, back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Now back to today's episode with Itai Kanote. I'm kind of picturing the Uber of beekeeping. You know, I'm picturing this scenario where, you know, you know all your drivers, essentially, and, you know, you can use this technology to make decisions on which ones go where and why. And in the case of Uber, as you know, you've got different classes of black car, SUV, comfort, regular. You're grading all this before the client, which in this case is your grower, is making that decision on the level of quality of health, whatever it is that you're being able to help predetermine before they make that purchase uh, with you or make that investment with you. Just want to make sure I have that right. Does that sound like a fair assessment of what Hero is is attempting to provide in terms of the relationship directly with the grower with these downline independent contractors? Sure. I mean, you're painting it in a pretty accurate way. We very much encourage a relationship between the beekeeper and the grower. We think that it only adds to the success of the experience for everyone. A lot of people, you know, especially in bee brokering businesses, they tend to add wording to their contract that uh, there's not going to be any direct communication between the parties. And really, from our, our experience, letting the beekeeper and the grower talk amongst themselves only improves the experience. We're basically taking all of the risk, right? All the liability goes to us. If If something fails, the beekeeper is not going to be blamed by the grower. We're going to be, because we're responsible for it. So the communication between the grower and the beekeeper now is a lot cleaner. It's just about where do you want the bees? Right here? No problem. I'm going to put them right there. And there's less friction. It's cleaner. Everything is cleaner. We take the responsibility. Now we add a lot of features that just help everything. When the grower 
goes on our website, wants to order uh, bees, they go through a process where they draw very easily a polygon around their orchard. They can put exact pinpoints on a map of where they want the bees to be placed. And then the beekeeper gets in-field navigation system on their app. And they can look at the app and know exactly where they're going inside the orchard. And we're making a lot of the things just a little simpler. And it makes a big, big, big change for everybody. You know, because we already have the ability. You help, we already have, you know, tech people sitting on building those apps. And, you know, adding this little feature is nothing. And it gives so much to our users at the end of the day. It gives clarity. There's a lot less friction, more transparency across the board. Well, I understand, you know, that obviously this is a growing piece of technology, you know, within the almond industry. And now talking here about blueberries and you've raised over, I think I saw 20 million with investors who are seeing this opportunity, you know, there with Be Hero. But if you're not currently a customer with Be Hero today, what advice would you give our growers in general to make sure that they're getting the most out of their pollination program? Yeah. So I would advise really looking at your bees. I think that every person that drives a car needs to be able to change oil, tires, you know, windshield fluids, you know, the basic things. And I think every grower that consumes pollination services yearly and, you know, the crop relies on those pollination services needs to be able to assess a hive in a good way. We're actually right now working on a piece of information to provide growers that will help them kind of doing this assessment. But I think being able to put on a, a bee suit, you know, use a smoker and a hive tool, and you don't need to, to go deep into the hive in order to assess what you're getting, but it's important to be able to assess what you're getting because pollination is such an important part of the food production process. and you can do everything right, but you got bad bees this year, your yields are going to be lower and you'll have no idea what you've done wrong, like why this is happening, why your neighbor is making such great yields and your field is only giving you like 70% of the normal production you're expecting. And this, this can be exactly the reason. So I think being able to assess your colonies, the colonies that you're getting, the product that you're getting is, is very important. Well, that was a fascinating conversation about what I think was an understanding about how little technology advancement has taken place in the beekeeping space. When Itai was describing that the biggest disruption today for beekeeping over the years has been the logistics of moving bees with vehicles, you know, that doesn't really jump out as a big change or, or advancement in, in anything that we would consider technology today. So I think it really does, you know, make way for what we're seeing in terms of parallels to that example of Uber for a company like his in providing an intersection, a middleman, a value add in the kinds of technology that a lot of industries are using today, uh, using AI to better predict what it is that's taking place. And so I really appreciated what he was sharing about why this is important now. And the connection he was making at the beginning, certainly about colony collapse disorder, bee health, those things that we've talked about before on this podcast, 
but also just the idea that in the future, it's about optimizing everything. Uh, so the healthy ones get healthier and the strong ones get stronger. And we're figuring out how to breed bees who are already able to withstand some of the issues that are taking place today. And so that to me is part of what we're seeing in this type of intersection of technology and pollination going forward. And it should give everybody a lot more hope, not just about driving down costs, which of course, that is certainly part of this discussion, but what that means for optimization in nature, optimization in our production and optimization for our blueberry industry. So I think it's been great, a great technology conversation here today. And I really appreciated learning more about Bee Hero. That's it for episode 96. Are you a blueberry grower who's experimenting with new technology? We would like to hear from you and perhaps feature that technology on a future episode of this podcast. So please reach out to us via email at industry at ushbc.org. Again, if you've got something you'd like to share or something that you think would be interesting for us to explore, email us at industry at ushbc.org. So thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Blueberries.